This is the Mudgy Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Palmer. Today, my guests are director and producer duo Bill Bennett and Jennifer Clough. They are perhaps best known for their work on films such as Spider and Rose, In a Savage Land and The Nugget. The 2002 film, which stars names such as Eric Banner, Stephen Curry and Vince Colosimo, put a spotlight on Mudgy, not seen until TV series Doctor Doctor many years later. Bill is also an accomplished author, with the Mudgy Guardian almost one year ago to the day, writing an article on his then recently published book, Initiate, part of the Palace of Fires trilogy, published by Penguin Random House. Bill and Jennifer are here to talk about The Nugget, how it came to be made, the production process, and of course, Mudgy itself. Hi Ben. G'day, how are you mate? I'm very well, thank you. Um, just referencing this introduction that I talked about earlier, um, we are here today to talk a little bit about The Nugget, which I believe came out in 2002 now. Um, let me start with uh, either of you, what got you into filmmaking? Which is a very broad question, I know. Sure, sure. Um, I'll let Jennifer answer for herself, obviously, because <laughs> whenever I answer for her, I get in trouble. Um, but for me, um, I had always been interested in photography and in writing, and I found myself at the ABC as a journalist. I started making small documentaries for them and found that I had an aptitude for it and a love for it, and that led to then making independent documentaries, then making independent feature films. And me, yes, yes. Ben. <laughs> I grew up in Mudgee, and in my last year of high school, at Mudgee High, high School, I was um, chosen to be in Seven Little Australians, which was a major drama at the time. For the ABC. For the ABC, and I left uh, to do that, and then came back and did my HSC, and then pursued a career as an actress in Sydney quite successfully, and met Ben, uh, Ben, Bill, <laughs> you see I'm nervous. I met Bill along the way, and we've been married now, what, 37 years? Mm-hmm. Wow. Three children. Congratulations. And quite a lot of films mm. that I've been in and produced and script edited and you know, the whole process. Wow. So it was kind of, uh, it was almost made to be, you know. It was kind of destined. The two two loves of filmmaking sort of coming together and creating this, you know, this body of work. It's been extraordinary. We, we work really well together. Um, I can't do what I do without Jennifer. Um, she has become an absolutely essential part of my creative process. And I think Mudgee has been a central part of that as well mm. because um, my family all are here and we used to often come here. And Bill quite deliberately wrote two films for Mudgee, and at the moment he's doing a third screenplay right now, which is set both in Mudgee and in Spain. Wonderful. Those are two very disparate locations, Mudgee and Spain. Well, this next film that I'm writing, in fact, is based on a book I wrote called The Way My Way, which is my memoir of my walking the Camino, Mm -hmm. Camino de Santiago in Spain. Um, And... So, in fact, I did all my training here. I did training walks um, really between Mortimer Street and uh, out towards um, oh, the winery, um, what is it? 
Craigmore. Craigmore. It's Craigmore Winery. Still? Um, mm. Quite a few times I walked from Mudgee to Golgong on longer training runs, and, one, and once I walked from Mudgee to Louis. So, wow. you know, a lot of people see me on the roads walking still. I still walk each day about 7 to 10 kilometres. Wow. Um, have you, uh, how far along is that screenplay for that film? Um, I'm handing it to the distributor on Monday. So oh, wonderful. I've got, um, an Australian distributor attached, an American uh, financier and sales company attached, and Spanish producers attached as well. So it's oh, actually fantastic. Quite, quite advanced. Ooh. And Screen New South Wales have come in for funding. And wonderful. And Screen Australia have been backing it as well. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so that's the third film that has been set in Mudgee, written by you. The first was Spider and Rose, I understand. Spider what, and Rose, what, yeah. what year did Spider and Rose come out again? Spider and Rose was 1995. Okay. It's a while back now. It is. <laughs> I, uh, I watched that movie for the first time when I was a lot older. I, was, I would have been seven years old when that movie first came out. Um, but I remember watching it and really liking it, and it was kind of... Uh, until the nugget came out was the movie that was made in Mudgee for a long time and sort of people uh, got around it in that way in addition to it being a really great Aussie movie Thank you. now when the nugget came along I think I was just starting high school and my walk to school uh, sort of intersected with um, some of the sets along Madeira Road there um, so that's sort of where my memories start with nugget with with both of you, when how did the nugget come about? When did it become a, a concept, and when did it sort of start to become real? Well, that's a really good question. Um, for me, the creative process is actually quite a long one, yeah, and by long, I mean I don't normally work on a film without a development gestation period and production period any less than probably five to seven years. So um, I really nut things out before I then decide to make a film. I had always loved John Steinbeck's novella, The Pearl. And The Pearl is a um, um, beautiful metaphor, really, about a Spanish, a Mexican fisherman who finds a pearl. He lives in very poor circumstances, and that pearl changes his life, but not necessarily for the better. And I, I had, in fact, tried to option the film rights to that book from the Steinbeck estate, but not been successful in doing that. And so then I decided to write an Australian version of it, if you like, which was these three road workers going out on the weekend, mainly to piss up and, you know, and to get away from their wives and do a bit of prospecting, but they end up finding the world's biggest nugget. Now, this in part was informed by my brother-in-law, who uh, used to work with... Um, Parramatta Council. Parramatta Council at the time. He used to go out on the weekend yeah. prospecting, and he would, come, he, would, he would come around and tell us wonderful stories about the antics that he got up to with his mates and so forth. Wow. Gentlemen, you could... Uh, this is my brother, Matt, mm-hmm. who um, does... He's a wonderful storyteller, and he did... He and his mates did used to go out prospecting, and Bill did use a lot of those stories in the nugget itself. I can't think of one right offhand, but I know Matt was the inspiration wow. for the film, the Australian mm-hmm. version of, of mm-hmm. that. Yeah. 
And was it an obvious choice to set the film in Mudgee given the tone? Was it, was it sort of, was the tone of the film decided before you decided to sort of, um, sort of set it in Mudgee and that sort of thing? The tone of the film was set, well, it was decided beforehand. It's one of the most important things that a filmmaker does really in, dis- in making creative dis- decisions about a film is to set the tone. But um, what a lot of people don't realise, and now I'm talking as a producer and not as a director, mm. is that Mudgee, in fact, is a really, really terrific location. Number one, because it's so beautiful, you know, and it really is in many ways a sort of ar- archetypal country town. Um, from a production point of view, it's easy access to Sydney, so you can get actors, day players and so forth, in and out relatively easily. In those days, of course, we're shooting films, so getting rushes um, to the labs and so forth. We had an um, you know, airstrip that you know, worked then, <laughs> and uh, daily flights and so forth, and so getting rushes, film rushes in and out was good. So from a logistical point of view, um, Mudgee was ideal. But also from locations, you know, it, it, um, and we had some rain then too, so it was really quite beautiful. So for a whole bunch of reasons it, it made sense. And, and also, of course, the fact that we had a house here at that stage. Um, we, we live in Mudgee now too, by the way. So, um, so for all those reasons, it, it just seemed to be the ideal place, yeah. When did... Uh, sorry, were you going to say something? I was just going to say, and actors love coming here. Yes, uh, apparently they, they love do. to be here, and there's good accommodation for them. You can look after them really, really well. And that was important to Eric Banner because he'd just come off um, Black Hawk Down, yep. where he had been in the... Where, where was that set? Somewhere in North Africa, wasn't it? Mm. And he and his family had had a really, really tough time. And he, he really didn't want to go through that again. He want, it was really important to him that his family had a lovely place to stay and he just loved being here. Hmm. It also helped as well, you know, this was an old gold mining area, you know, going back historically. I mean, you know, that's not one of the one of the main purposes you, you, you make, but, but certainly it added to the historical flavour, you know, of the film. Hmm. Well, the, the world's largest nugget was found in Hill End, which wasn't too far from here. That's right. So it has well, a lot of, yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Speaking of uh, Eric Banner and the other actors, when you wrote the film, do you ever have certain actors in mind or a particular kind of actor? No, but I had seen Eric in an advanced screening of, um, what was a gangster movie he did? Chopper. Chopper. Yep. Like yeah. Chopper before, before Chopper had um, had been released while it was still in cutting, uh, the producer showed me a cut of the film and showed me Eric's performance. I was really knocked out by that. Mm. And in particular, I was impressed by his comedic ability. Mm-hmm. Um, he is an incredible mimic. You know, um, Eric is... A lot of people don't realise that he, in fact, is such a really, really good mimic. And that's how he got that gig, you know, for, for Chopper, initially. Hmm. Because he was um, he was mimicking Chopper Reed on TV. But um, to answer your question, no, not really, what, what I did. Uh, I was also influenced at the time by the Coen brothers and their movie... Um, Fargo? No, not Fargo, you know. The, ah, the one Raising the, Arizona. No, 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 not the one with George Clooney and the singing. Oh, oh, brother, we're uh, out there. Yeah, oh, brother, oh, brother we're, we're out, out there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, that um, 
I was really influenced by that film and the relationship of those three guys. And yeah, so that was that was an influence as well. Is it is it difficult to write a film, uh, a comedic film, when you look at it on paper, you know, when you do the timing in your head, is that is that quite difficult to... Is it, is it hard to work out if it's funny until you actually see it on screen? That's a really good question, Ben. Um, if it's not funny on the paper, nobody's going to finance you. It's got to be. It's got to be on the page, mm. and um, that's just it. It your film will not get financed if if when people read the script they don't get it and they don't see it. That's when money gets put down at script stage. But the funny thing is, um, and this this happens. This happens more times than I realise, in fact, is that I'll do a couple of drafts of the script, two or three maybe, and then I'll leave it for a bit, then I'll come back, and then something something strange happens. Suddenly, suddenly I find the voice of the characters, and then I'll do a total other pass, and suddenly those words come to life. And I can't explain it any more than that. I mean, Jennifer's seen it time and time again. Because mm, I do the script editing on all of Bill's um, work now um, and on other people's as well. That's that's another one of the, the things I do um, is script editing and book editing. So, you know, it's a it's a discipline and it has to it has to be on the page mm. and you have to get it right there. So the reader gets it and and now with um, the most extraordinary TV available to us all, cinema is is having to change. It's having to come up with uh, more immediacy, more extraordinary ways of connecting with an audience than it's ever had before because the long-form TV enables people to sit and really get involved in something. So we really have to get a script working much faster um, in the first couple of minutes than ever before. It's really, really an exciting time. Was it uh, was it hard to sell the nugget to to people when you were pitching it? No, actually, it's one of the one of the easiest and fastest films that I've I've ever done. Wow! It um, mind you, it was at a time when pay TV in Australia was play, playing a lot of money for movies, mm-hmm. um, and I had. Village Roadshow come on very early as well, the distributors. So, in fact, I was in the very enviable position of really having the film financed before the creative aspects of the film were in place. So, no, it was that was a film that really clicked into place really, really fast. I think probably one of the things is that there are very few genres that work in Australian cinema consistently. And good Australian comedies do work, you know. So, um, so you know, Village Roadshow read the script and they they thought this could be another classic Australian comedy. Um, Mudgy's changed quite a bit since since the Nugget was filmed. Um, how long have you been living in Mudgy for? Oh, nearly ten years. Nearly ten but, years. But uh, Jennifer was born here, of course, and we mm. married. You know, she said nearly 37 years, so, so really I've been coming to Mudgee for all that period of time. Mudgee has changed, but we... 
I guess our lifestyle hasn't changed very much here um, because we travel a lot and we have a very, very quiet lifestyle when we're here and we keep very much to ourselves. But during that time with the Nugget, we made some extraordinary friends and those people still welcome us into their home and those people are still very close to us. And then, of course, we have family. And beyond that, um, because we travel and we have a very hectic traveling life, and this is the longest period we've actually been at home now in the last 10 years, um, we're normally in the US a couple of times a year, in India a couple of times a year, or somewhere else. And um, those times are incredibly hectic. So what we love about Mudgee is that you can come home and you can do everything you need to do, go to the post office, do your shopping, do it all in a few minutes while the jug's boiling for a cup of tea <laughs> and really relax. Mm. And it's fantastic. I remember walking through the sets uh, when I was on my way to school um, years back. How long did the shooting process take? I think from memory it was eight weeks. Eight weeks, okay. Because it, I remember, f it felt like a lot longer to me. Yeah. Um, but to me too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there would have been pre though. You would mm. have been. There would have been um, reproduction. Would have been quite long. There would have been a lot of uh, stuff being built quite early on. Mm. So your your memory is probably quite yeah. accurate. I, if, I think I remember, too, that one of the homes was painted for the film. Mm, bright yellow. Yeah, and mm. then painted back. Is it had to be painted back. Yeah. That was the deal. Why? Uh, what co what colour was the house before and why did it have to be yellow? You've probably got a better memory than, than me on this channel. Uh, it had to be yellow. Oh, now I'm trying to remember whether <laughs> it was Joyce's house or um, uh, Lotto and his wife's house. It was the one next door. It was Joyce. You wanted that colour. Yellow was actually the colour of the film. Okay. So that was a creative decision that Bill made and it was a big deal to get that house painted yellow and the people to agree. And, and it was easy to return it back to what it was. But uh, always Bill's... And most good filmmakers always have a very good idea of what they want their film to look like mm. and they really do bring it down to a few colors they want to predominate and that then goes through wardrobe it goes through the art department it goes through every department knows what their palette of color has to be and it goes through the labs and processing the film and all of those the things. poster the poster mm. yeah everything I'm here with Bill Bennett and Jennifer Clough and we're speaking about The Nugget and Mudgee as a Town and uh, the filmmaking process. Jennifer, what does it feel like to make a film in Mudgee where, where you're from? Um, making a film is always difficult. Um, being in the town where you're from means that you have family. You could go and sit down and go, oh my God, what a day I've had. Um, and you don't normally get that on location. So I guess that's the only difference. I mean, the Nugget, we had some really, we had some difficult things. We had 9-11, mm. which of course really, really um, threw us all uh, through the whole world, but it, it threw us all. And the other, other really, really, really thing that none of us have really recovered from is Belinda Emmett mm. discovered she had, uh, cancer again 
it had come back and and that was that was extremely difficult I was the one that had to uh, break the news to her partner and mm -hmm. and her team and uh, I also had to give her the option of leaving the production and not continuing to look after her health and um, she was so amazing she said no this is the dream she's always had mm. to be in a feature film with with um, the likes of Eric and and Steve Curry and Dave O'Neill and she wanted to continue and um, you know those things it doesn't matter where they happen whether you're at home or on another location they're tough anyway yeah. but um, it was still given all of that a very very special shoot don't you reckon that's wonderful that's wonderful it was um, it was one of the most um, you know, as Jennifer said filmmaking is hard you know the, it's, it's always hard particularly for someone such as myself who's producing and directing um, but that was a very pleasurable shoot, except as Jennifer said, for those two things, mm. which were both distressing. How do you uh, overcome those sorts of those difficulties while uh, under a lot of you know the, the filmmaking process is probably quite stressful? How do you sort of you know keep everything together <laughs> when things like that come up? I remember. Um, I remember, in fact, seeing 9-11 as it unfolded because, uh, because of, um, I can't remember, I think I got a phone call, somebody said, quick, go, go, on, go to the TV, and I turned on CNN and I saw it all as it was happening. Um, and then I had to address the whole crew, we had quite a big crew on that one, I think about over 100 people, I had to address everybody, and I remember saying, the world is going to change from today on, I didn't mm -hmm. realise just how much it would change. Um, but this is where having somebody like Jennifer is just so terribly important because in situations like this she takes such a huge load from me. She really does. It's very important to understand, a lot of people don't really understand the dynamic of a film crew and mm. they're the most extraordinary people who will do anything for you. Um, because they love what they do, they're extremely good at what they do, and they love the process of cinema and telling a story. And I, I just cannot speak more highly of people who work in our industry and how marvellous they, they all are. And Bill is an extraordinary leader, and when there is a leader uh, in place, they will follow. And really it's as simple as that what were your uh more most positive memories working on the film are there any that particularly stand out oh crikey man that's a really hard question <laughs> i have so many positive memories but um you know i love working with good actors and we had on that film max cullen <laughs> who is, I think, one of Australia's great actors. And working with Max was an absolute joy. Um, working with the three actors, uh, Eric and Steve and Dave, were, you know, we would find moments of humour which were never in the script. And I, I would remember just being behind the camera and 
trying my best not to burst out <laughs> laughing because things would just happen in front of the cam- camera very organically. Um, we had a huge piece of gear. I'm, I'm a real sort of gear freak. We had a huge crane, which at that time was used to get very, very broad kind of sweeping shots. This is before CGI really mm-hmm. kind of took off. Um, and it took literally three days to position the crane and build it and choreograph a shot using it. And those shots, there are about three or four shots in the film that use that crane, I think, in quite a really interesting way. You know, so from a technical directorial point of view, working with the crane... (laughs) (laughs) These days we'd send a drone up, wouldn't we? Yeah, Yeah, You'd use a drone, you'd get a drone operator. Um, But but things like that, yeah. Mm. Speaking about the drone, how have things changed for in in making a film that people might not think of as obvious obviously we have things like cgi now and drones instead of cranes but is there is the process of filmmaking still the same despite well, the, the technology process of filmmaking ultimately comes down to the script um and doesn't matter what technology is employed elsewhere it really comes down to the script, and that hasn't changed. Not, um, not really since the time of Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, I mean, we've just shot a movie all over the world, which has been playing in cinemas across America, uh, which I shot with a little mirrorless Sony camera, mm. just a little bit like one of the ones that you've got on your desk yeah. here. And it's extraordinary. You know, I, tell, I, I lecture at film and TV schools and you know, and so forth. And I tell young students, you you now can have the equipment you need to make a cinema, a full cinema production with sound and have it in carry-on mm. and cost under under $10,000. It's, it's quite amazing. Like you mentioned, you know, our phones that we have on this desk here can shoot you know 4k video with high dynamic range and stereo audio and all that sort of thing and i mean even just i think 10 years ago that would have been unheard of it's extraordinary i mean netflix have just released a film by steven soderbergh who did oceans 11 and you know sex lives and videotape one of the most successful directors in hollywood and the film is called high flying bird he shot the whole thing on iphones Mm. It's incredible. Yeah, it's quite amazing. I remember seeing a film, I think, uh, maybe five years ago now called Tangerine that was similarly shot on, you know, the iPhone at the time, maybe the iPhone 5 or something. And, yeah, it was it's, it's quite amazing that uh, they have the same phones that we do, but, you know, they're able to shoot, you know, footage that looks like that, you know, like it's the, it's the artist behind the camera as it much is. as it, it is, is the equipment. You know, you can have you can have the gear, you can have um, you know the apps and so forth, but you need not only the technical skills but the story skills as well um, to be able to. And this is the this is the bar, you know, that really separates people. You've um, you know Steven Soderbergh is the most extraordinary storyteller. In the end, it all comes down to story. Hmm. When. Um the film was released how did you what, what what was the response 
what was the response like to the film? Um, we opened the same weekend as my big fat Greek wedding opened and we had the same distributor. The distributor knowingly put us up mm. against what turned out to be the biggest romantic comedy I think ever. Mm. Um, certainly independent romantic comedy ever, ever certainly in the US. So um, we were always in the shadow of that film. Um, even so, the film found an audience and found a, you know, found a big audience. But you know, Ben, what has astonished me is the way The Nugget has lived on. Um, I remember coming back only a few years ago now, and this would probably be 15 years after the film was made, I came back through uh, customs uh, from a, a trip away, and the bloke looked at me and said, oh, you, because yeah, you've got to put your occupation down on thing. He said, you make movies, do you? And I said, yeah. He said, what movies did you make? Have you made? I hate that question. <laughs> normally, normally when, I, when I, I tell people what movies I made, you know, no one's heard of them. Yep. But I, I said, well, you know, you might have heard of The Nugget, not expecting him to have said anything. He sort of sat back in his chair, he looked at me and said, mate, that's a bloody classic. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I find that whenever I'm in a conversation with someone that has recently moved to town or someone that has visited, one of the questions they always ask is, have you seen The Nugget before? And it's just become a part of the town's identity. I think it's just really loved here and people have the DVDs and I think it's become relatively hard to find now and people are always asking, you know, where can I get a copy of it and that sort of thing. So it's it has really lived on sort of past its years. And, I mean, it might only just be here, but that... No, it's not just here. There's, there's a... A Purling Ship Off Broom. It's the first uh, movie that goes up when they go to sea. I was doing research on a, um, I was doing research on a, a movie I was going to make featuring the pearling industry out of Broom. And I remember I, I, was, I was driven up a beach out of Broom for about 10k, taken in a dinghy about two kilometres offshore to this big pearling mothership and I walked up, I sort of climbed up the ladder to get onto the ship and I got to the, the gunnel and the bloke turned to everybody on the ship and said, hey, this is the bloke that made the nugget. <laughs> <laughs> how, did, how did that feel? It felt really weird. But, yeah. You know, it, evidently it was the film that they, as Jennifer said, they played over and over again on their, um, uh, on their DVD or whatever. Wow. Yeah. Why do you think the movie has such long legs? I think because it's uniquely Australian. I think what I managed to do in that film, which I don't think I could ever probably do again, is I found a particular Australian voice. And I think I, I, think I found that voice and gave it enormous compassion and gave it a, a lot of love. And I think that's I think that's really why it's kicked on a little bit like the castle. Of course, it's never had the success of the castle, mm -hmm. but I think in the same way that people love the castle, because it does speak of an Australia that is almost gone. Maybe you know the lovely kind of friendship, that uh, mateship, the um, self-deprecating humour, um, the larrikinism, you know, all of those all of those qualities that we regard as being uniquely Australian, I think the film encapsulates. Hmm. 
When was the last time you watched The Nugget? Do you watch your own films? I've heard the Beatles never um, never used to listen to their music <laughs> after they've done. Um, he I'm hasn't a, watched it for a long way. time. Mm. No, he hasn't I, seen I, it. I, I probably haven't seen it since it first came out. Wow. I, sh- I should actually have a look at it. Mm. I think I'd cringe. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. It's very good. Yeah, it's. I, I think it holds up. It's uh, It's a really interesting, from someone that's lived in Mudgee their whole lives, um, a really interesting sort of... Uh, moment in time that's captured as well um, when you just look at the town itself like buildings are different and you know the the bones are still there but everything else looks a little bit a little bit different um, and I th- I, that's one of the most interesting parts of it for me is sort of being able to revisit the town in a way in on film that you otherwise you know it's a way that you otherwise wouldn't be able to um, what was the tell me what the premiere was like at the Regent Theatre. I remember the premiere as being the most extraordinary evening. It, it wasn't my idea, in fact, it was the publicity department from Village Roadshow that uh, suggested it. And as soon as they did, I, I, I must admit I had a few misgivings. I thought, well, no one's going to come. You know, it's going to be a bit of a, a fizzer. But, um, but they turned it into something extraordinary. And... I was just absolutely amazed at the turnout and the reception to the film as well. Hmm. I remember when I went and saw The Nugget at the Regent Theatre before it closed, it was one of the only times I've ever sat in a film and people clapped at the end of the film, uh, which is relatively uncommon, I think, here in Australia. It's not generally our culture, but people were so just felt so positively about it. Um, I think there's an old photo floating around on our website somewhere from the Sydney Morning Herald of um, Eric and the other and Stephen and uh, some other of the cast turning up in the back of a ute to the Regent Theatre. I think. Yes, they did, didn't they? And and it it was lit by the CES with their lights and mm. it was the press just loved it. They mm. loved that evening and they found coming here to be really really special and these are really hard tough people um the entertainment press and they just had the best time the Mm. absolute best time and the actors loved it as well Mm. um they were able to join together and and hang out a little bit longer than they normally would and go back to the places they loved in town and they all had their favorite places and the, and people still talk about it you know, yeah. you know strangely enough they still talk about their premiere oh really yeah do you keep in touch with any of the uh, actors that acted in the film not really i don't keep in touch with any actors mm-hmm. um I, i've worked with um i've worked with some fairly big names and i must admit um you know, as a director, I like to just keep my distance a bit. Mm-hmm. Sort of separate the art from the personal a little bit. Yeah, we come together for a purpose and then, you know, it's... Um, but, you know, mind you, if, if I ever bumped into any of them, there'd, there'd be enormous affection between mm. us. Yeah. And it's also that Bill's always working, so um, there's always another project, yeah. as there are now. There's, like, three on the on the boil right now, and... And that takes up all his time. You said you've got multiple projects on at the moment. Do you have a passion for your work? Do you enjoy working, which is why you do it so, so much? I can't. I can't think of doing anything else. Hmm. I mean, I wake up each morning and I can't 
wait to get to my computer to to start writing because I'm a writer, you know, that's what I am principally. Um, you know, you mentioned in the in the introduction that I've um, I'm doing a series of three novels for Penguin Random House, which are a series of young adult novels. This is my first foray into fiction for novels. I've been finding it incredibly hard, Ben. Mm. It's a whole different, whole different type of writing. You know, I mean, writing a screenplay is really hard. I, I liken write, writing a screenplay to um, cutting a diamond. You know, it's so precise. Mm-hmm. Really, for a screenplay to work, it, it's... And if you get one word wrong in a screenplay, it can shatter the whole diamond. Um, novels have a whole other discipline attached to them, which has taken me a long time to figure out. I think uh, in my research for this interview, we published a story about your f- book, um, Initiate, or Initiation? Mm. Initiate. Initiate. Uh, almost one year to the day, actually. I think mm. it was February 20, uh, mm. 17th that we posted it. Um, you mentioned that screenwriting is like cutting a diamond and uh you know writing young adult fiction or you know novels and that sort of thing uh is quite different what's the biggest challenge you found between the two which do you prefer um that's a really good question um you know with a screenplay you can say um Robbo walked into the room, he looked around, he picked up a gun, he shot Diana. Um, <laughs> in a novel, you, you, can't got, do that, you, can't, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You've got to describe the room, you've got to describe everything moment to moment. What I just said in a, in a screenplay would maybe be two or three lines. In a book, it would be maybe three or four pages. Mm-hmm. You know, So one of the things that I discovered... One one of the beauties about screenplay writing is that, in the end, it's a blueprint for other people. You know, it's like a set of architectural plans. Mm-hmm. You don't actually have to build the building. Um, you do that when you come to make the film. You bring art department in, you bring technicians in, you bring cinematography and so forth, and you know, wardrobe, makeup, casting, all of those things, and you build that world as you make the movie. With writing a novel, you've got to build that world through words, and it's um, I find both very, very difficult. I find writing incredibly difficult. I find it one of the most challenging things, certainly, certainly the most challenging thing that I can do. Um, that's probably why I love it so much. Uh, Jennifer, do you edit his novel writing? Um, I'm the first to read. Mm-hmm. Um, he has Penguin Random House or, uh, ed- have editors involved in that, but I am the first to read, which means that I have my say. So, Basically what happens, both with screenplays and with um, novels, is that I will do a pass and, and either progressively through that, normally progressively through that, I'll send pages to Jennifer, she'll read them, give me feedback, and then I'll adjust and so forth. And we go through that process as um, really quite thoroughly, you know, over, over quite a long period of time. And we'll revise and we'll revise and we'll revise. 
in the case of a screenplay, um, then we'll send it off to the distributor or whomever. In the case of a novel, we'll send it off to Penguin Random House and they will come back and they've got some very smart people there who will then put their own take on it. But normally by the time I've sent it to them, to the publishers, it's in fairly good shape. This is the beauty of living in Mudgee. You can mm. see how we have all <laughs> far more time than when we used to live in Sydney to be able to really focus on getting it right, getting the writing right, because there are so few distractions in our day. I was, I was going to ask, actually, is, is Mudgee a, a great place for writing? Does it allow you that sort of peace and solitude that you might need? It's, um, as Jennifer says, there are fewer distractions, and when you need to do something, you can do it with a lot more efficiency. If you need to go to the post office, then, you know, it's easy. If you need to do shopping, it's easy. Um, so I have found that in my time here in Mudgee, full-time, uh, I've been far more productive than I would have been in Sydney because with Sydney, you know, you can always go to a movie, there's always a restaurant to go to, there's, um, you know, if you need to get somewhere, you get stuck in traffic and, you know, suddenly two hours of your day is gone. So, yeah, and interestingly, you know, when I look at some of the great writers, they do actually live in the country. Mm. Um, you know, the people who are really productive. So, I think it's not so much the solitude, it's the fact that I can use more hours in the day here mm. than if I was in a bigger city. Just going back to the nugget, um, briefly, you talked about how a book comes along and uh, different um, interpretations are, uh, you know, pieces are added and removed in the process. Was was the nugget ever anything... Uh, were parts of the film drastically different to what made the screen uh, in its early stages or in the process between sort of conception and filming? Well, that's another good question. What do you think? No, I can't... There were one or two things in editing that you would have removed because the story didn't require them. Um, sometimes a screenplay requires more than a film does because of the momentum of the film, because the audience is seeing what's happening. It's a little bit different to the written word, so you do tend to pare back when you come to editing, but I think it was pretty much the same. What a lot of people don't realise is that a screenplay um, is a selling document. So you write a screenplay to get money, basically. Um, It's, um, what it is, number one, it's gotta be, it's gotta be written to attract an actor. So the screenplay has got to be angled that particular way to get an actor because the way films get financed, you need actors who, what, what we call in, in the industry, meaningful actors. Mm-hmm. Meaningful actors mean that they can get money. Yep. So distributors will back them because those actors have made money in the past. So a screenplay is actually quite a cynical document in many ways. Once you came, come to make the film, you can put all that aside and then it comes down to the real nitty-gritty of what do you need to make this work. Um, One of the things that I try to do with with The Nugget, which was unusual for an Australian film, is that I tried to bring in a sense of magic realism 
mm-hmm. and uh, a sense of the mythological. In other words, I wanted it to be because because when you when you're dealing in sort of heightened comedy like this was, unlike say something like the castle, which is very rooted in naturalism, this wasn't. This was this was rooted more in, in magic realism. Um, and that's where Max Cullen was so fantastic in being this sort of quite mysterious narrator. He didn't quite know whether he was real or not real. Um, and having him look back on the story gave it a largeness that it wouldn't have had had the story just been told without him. Mm-hmm. So the notion that, that he's looking back on something fantastic in the true sense of the word and looking back on something that, that had gone into myth gave it size and gave it, gave it a, a kind of a mythological mm-hmm. um, angle to it that wouldn't, it wouldn't have had otherwise. Tell me a bit more about uh, the magical realism that you speak about. I, I, think fr- I think it's relatively self-explanatory that it's, you know, the movie is largely rooted in reality, but there are sort of mystical elements to it. Well, the three guys joke about the finger of God, mm-hmm. um, you know, this sort of magic um, golden beam of sunlight that comes down. And in fact, the finger of God was what illuminated the location of the nugget. Um, you know, so there, there are sort of, um, not religious, but, but sort of spiritual aspects to the film that are there if people want to look for them. And are sort of they're, they're nicely camouflaged within jokery and and comedy, um, but they're there nonetheless. Um, and you know, like I say, I haven't seen the film in nearly decades. I think probably, and so my memory of it is um, you'd have a bit of memory mm. of it than me. <laughs> but um, but the nuggets seem to take on its own life. You know, it seemed to have a soul and a spirit of its own. Um, you know, so to that extent, it was yeah, sort of magic realism. Hmm. Do you think? Um, I mean, you can you can buy the nugget on DVD, I believe. Do you? Who is it? Who is it up to to decide to ever you know re-release or reissue the film? Well, I'd need to get get on to uh, Roadshow for that. And, I, I, you know, based on this conversation we're having, Ben, I really should talk to them about them putting it out on iTunes, mm. you know, so that it is available online. Because yeah. I think, there'd be, I think there'd be people who'd want to see it. Yeah, I've definitely looked for it on there before. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Put it out on Amazon or something. Yeah. yeah. Is, that, is that an easy process? Do they have to come to the party on that as well, or do you just sort of I need to, to ask check them? check the contract and see when mm. their rights expire. I mean... Mm. Normally, rights on something like this are 25 years, okay. so um, would still be within that period. But, you know, look, they make decisions based on whether there's money in it, mm. and if there's money in it, then they'll do it. But, I, you know, we get royalties, and the, the film's still selling. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have... Um, did the movie uh, make back its budget? I think... I think with the theatrical and with the DVD, it's made back its budget plus some. Oh, fantastic. Mm. It's been a long time, but, yes. but interestingly, the film has had legs. Mm. You know, so it's, um, that's the thing about film. And the other thing about film is that um, new technologies come along and new mm. income streams come along. Yep. 
you know, so the income streams that were there at the time uh, are now greatly expanded since. I'm here with Bill Bennett and Jennifer Clough at the Mudgy Guardian. Is there anything that you would like to mention that I haven't asked about yet about the sort of living in Mudgy and the, the process of making the film The Nugget? <laughs> um, no, other than, you know, when you make a film, when you come into a town, a number of things happen. Um, a lot of people get very excited about the glamour of it and the possibility of seeing stars and people that they you know, might know of. Um, and then that soon wears off when they've got to wait for traffic, you know, mm -hmm. being, traffic being stopped or traffic being redirected because you've taken over a street or a block. Um, and <laughs> you know, so it, it becomes... Um, what a lot of people don't understand is that the filmmaking process is a very, very technical, painstaking, time-consuming process. Mm -hmm. And we see no glamour in it. Mm. Um, it. It is just detailed, focused, intense, um, tough work. But, um, but the people in Mudgee always made us feel incredibly welcome. And I always think back on the shoot now with enormous level of affection and remember it as being just really quite a wonderful, very special time. And I think that reflects in the film. Hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you said you were writing a, a third film set partly in Mudgee that's um, relatively far along. Do you have any timeline on when uh, production does start on that film? Look, I'm not sure. In an ideal world, where are we? Um, February. In an ideal world, and if ev if everything aligned, we'd be shooting maybe September, October of this mm -hmm. year. Um, but a lot's got to happen. We've yep. got to get cast attached. We've got to get people have got to like the script first that I'm writing mm. at the moment. Jennifer thinks it's pretty good, but you know, we'll see. So I've learned after what well, you know, thirty over 30 years of making movies that you can never really put a timeline on these things. Mm. How much of the film is set in Mudgee and how much is set in Spain? Um, the majority of it is set in Spain. It's based on a, a book that I've written called The Way My Way, which is uh, a book that I wrote after having walked the Camino. Um, it's become something of a bestseller, certainly within Camino Beautiful. circles and mm. so forth. It's out on Amazon. Um, the distributors read the book and absolutely loved it and then contacted me and said we'd like you to write a screenplay on it so that's how it happened wonderful yeah. is that how it usually happens to the no, it doesn't and you know look Ben to be quite frank my first reaction was no I didn't want to do it <laughs> because I didn't want to I didn't want to have a film made about my life yep and I said I can't write this I can't write about myself you know that's just crazy and so the distributor then got three separate writers to come up with three separate treatments I read them all they were just horrible and painted me out to be such a dickhead and I mean I'm a bit of a dickhead but I don't think I'm that much of a yep. dickhead and and I finally said look I'll it's obvious you want to make this and you, you know I'm, I need to write it myself and so that's what's happened Jennifer has been an amazing script editor on it as well 
Yes. I do have to remind him that I didn't say that. <laughs> no, I did not say that, Bill. You cannot write that. That's not what I said. So we have a little toing and froing as to what actually happened and yeah. what he said and what I said. But that's fun. How much liberty do you have to take to make it entertaining f- to watch as a film parts of, parts of your life? I think... Um... He doesn't have to do anything. He has to actually tone down his life mm. because his life is hysterical. Mm. And it is very funny and he's going to say something terribly serious, but that's not the truth. Having lived <laughs> with Bill for 37 years, it is a roller coaster <laughs> of craziness. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you ever... I mean, now that the film is being made that's uh, based on this book, which is based on your life... Do you ever play the game where you try and guess, you try and uh, assign an actor to the to the part of you and to the part of Jennifer? I said there are only two actors that can play me. George Clooney is one and Hugh Jackman's the other. Mm. And Hugh's the only one that you'll be allowed <laughs> because he's Australian. Mm. <laughs> no, I like the idea of George Clooney. <laughs> no. Um, ben, no, look, I mean, the reality is that once the screenplay is finished and once the distributor sign off on it it'll be then put out to casting and then we'll see who bites hmm. you know, i just hope the person isn't ugly and bored <laughs> uh and what about you jennifer do you ever say oh such and such would be great to play me no i haven't actually thought about it i normally do the preliminary casting on all our films and um no i actually this it's never occurred to me to think in that direction <laughs> because we're still at screenplay stage hmm. um I don't know. It's our children as well. Mm. And then there are all the other real people that we have to get uh, permission to make a film about them as well. All our friends uh, that Bill met along the way, um, they all have to be cast as well. And they have to be cast very close to who they mm. who they are because their personalities are what make the film uh, just exuberant and wonderful and funny. Mm. It will be in tone very similar to the Nugget. It will be Wonderful. a comedy, um, but I'll be the people that everyone will be laughing at, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and not necessarily for good reasons. Uh, I want to thank you both very much for coming in today and taking time out of your day to have a chat with everybody. Oh, pleasure! Absolutely, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Mudgy Podcast. The Mudgy Podcast is recorded and produced in-house at the Mudgy Guardian offices. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends. It's the best way we can grow our audience. To support The Mudgy Guardian and everything we do, head to mudgyguardian.com.au forward slash subscribe to get your all-access digital subscription for just $2 a week. Thanks for listening.